Hey everybody and welcome to Athlete for Life. This podcast is about talking to people who have devoted their lives to sports, hearing about what they've learned, how sports have improved their lives and the lives of others around them. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. I'm a two-time NCAA All-American, an ACC Rookie of the Year, a national champion, and a former professional athlete. Playing sports from a young age has shaped my life in so many positive ways. All I am today, I owe to athletics. That's why this podcast will highlight the important role sports play in the lives and development of young people. Athlete for Life is brought to you by Sports Recruits. If you're a parent or player, Sports Recruits puts you in control of the recruiting process. Student athletes can build a free profile, find the right schools, and connect with any college coach in the country. You can get started today for free at sportsrecruits.com. Today in the show, we have the head coach of Missouri softball, Larissa Anderson. Coach Anderson, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Glad that I was able to do it. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk, but let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing softball? Oh, it's just one of those things. You know, it's a spring sport. I grew up in a, a resort town in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York, and it's just what everyone did in the spring. So I started playing uh, umpire pitch probably when I was nine or 10 and fell in love with it. Always wanted to be on the pitcher's mound because they got the most action. Right. Um, and then I realized that was, I was pretty good and it made some all-star teams, um, started playing some travel ball in high school and, uh, realized that this is something that I could probably do beyond high school, which then took me to college. But mm-hmm. I mean, I just always loved to play the game, right. uh, you know, really, really enjoyed what the game taught me and, you know, being able to interact and just the competitiveness of it. Right. And what other sports did you play while you were growing up? I played volleyball in the fall, and I think the biggest thing and what makes me so unique is I was a downhill ski racer. Um, Uh My family grew up skiing. Um, You know, being in the Adirondack Mountains, it's, it's again, what everybody did in the wintertime. But uh, I got into ski racing and that all through high school. Hmm. um, That really taught me a lot about just the individual preparation because it's you against the mountain. And I had to learn on on how to compete and prepare myself and a lot of the mental training that I then took into softball and also volleyball. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, you mentioned this when you were talking about softball, but I wonder if you can go a little deeper into what you were just talking about. How, how did, how did sports help you in other areas of your life? You know, it, it teaches you how to respond to failure. And I think being a, a ski racer, again, like I said, it, it was the the mental preparation and how much time you spent, you know, training a course. I mean, we mm-hmm. would, we would hike up if I was, if I was racing slalom, I would hike up to the the top of the race course and you're spending hours studying the course on where every single gate is. Hmm. So all that preparation that went in that day and not only the, obviously the practice beforehand, but just in, in preparing you for that race. And then right. your race is, you know, 60 seconds long. Um, and one turn can make or break, you know, your, your run that you're taking. So being able to have the discipline to be able to do that and then relating to softball and volleyball and, and having the discipline in the batter's box. And and when I was on the pitcher's mound prepared me for, you know, any adversity I was going to come through that then again, prepared me to be a coach. Right. Right. Can, Can you, can you talk, maybe give a specific example of how, that level of preparation that you learned in downhill skiing translated to other areas of your life in, in softball or volleyball? 
So I had the opportunity to train at the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, I think it was after during my junior year in high school. And having the ability to have those resources, um, training with some sports psychologists that taught me about visualization, hmm. where we would close our eyes and you can actually visualize what the mountain looks like and what your race course looks like and, and seeing every single gate. And if you can get your, your mind to discipline, your mind doesn't know the difference between visualization and reality. Your, your brain still thinks it's always happening. So if you could close your eyes and, and see the course and the sports psychologist would take us through an actual race, your muscles start to twitch and feel like it's actually doing the physical activity. Hmm. So then I related it to, to softball. And when I would be in the batter's box and being able to see an outside pitch and where did I need to contact that outside pitch or when I, when, when I was pitching to be able to visualize where I wanted the ball to go into the strike zone. Mm-hmm. So again, the, the physical stuff became easy. It was the mental discipline that I needed in order to, to be able to execute some of the skills and take my game to the next level. But, mm-hmm. but being able to, like, if you, if you look at ski racing itself, and you could be have all the preparation in the world and be mentally and physically prepared. And all of a sudden you catch a tip and you fall, your race is over with. Right. So how do you respond to that failure and how do you get pick yourself back up to be able to get yourself ready for the next race? Because mm-hmm. at that time, your race is over. Mm-hmm. So how do you relate that into softball? And how do you pick yourself up for failure, committing an error, overcoming some of those adversities that we have in, in the game of softball? Because Softball is all about failure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to strike out. You're going to you're going to probably get out seven out of ten times, and you're still batting three hundred. Right, right. And so, when you you know when you talk about failure and that you know, vi- visualization process, do you would you would you visualize you know say something like you hitting a tip on a on a downhill um, while you're downhill skiing? Um, would you visualize that failure to try to figure out how you were going to mentally overcome it? No, because you never want to see yourself fail. You right. only want to see yourself succeed. So mm-hmm. what happens with a lot of athletes is it's easy to be able to, and especially with video now, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to see what that strikeout looks like, that you were right. swinging at that high pitch. And it's like you'll hear a lot of young coaches that will coach negatively. They'll say, don't chase the rise. Don't chase the change up. Mm-hmm. Don't walk her. So your brain doesn't process what the word don't mean. Right. So you have to tell yourself what to do. So you don't want to, you don't want to visualize yourself falling. Mm -hmm. You want to visualize yourself being successful Mm -hmm. and where you need to start your turns and how you need to be successful in the batter's box and how you need to be able to throw a pitch in the location you want, not Mm -hmm. setting yourself up for that failure. Right. Um, But in, in coaching my athletes and then also going through life, um, it was always, you're going to over, you're going to have adversity. And when I, when I coach my players right now, we, I have something that's called an emergency action plan. Mm-hmm. So we talk about what could happen in the course of a game or before a game that's going to cause you to panic. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose your shoe or you break a shoelace or, you know, you misplace your glove or your glove breaks or, you know, in, in skiing, all of a sudden it's raining or the conditions aren't appropriate for what you, you were prepared for. Well, how are you going to be able to overcome that? And if you practice those situations, then when it comes in the course of a game, you're going to be prepared for that. Right. So if we're preparing, like in softball, we obviously have rain delays. So we'll practice. What are we going to do if it's a rain delay? So we'll be in the middle of practice. And then I'm like, okay, everybody stop. We got in on the dugout and we'll sit in the dugout for 20 minutes. Hmm. And how are we going to stay engaged in that game for that 20 minutes? So, because if that happens in the course of a game, 
we have to be able to go back out and respond right. or if there's an injury or, you know, whatever happens, if we prepare for that moment, then when that moment does happen, we're not going to be caught off guard. Right. Absolutely. Makes sense. Um, so, so, so getting back to you, let's talk about, um, you know, what was it that happened that made you decide that you wanted to play softball, um, at the next level? I think it was just realizing and someone else had to tell me that I had a talent to play in college. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's such a, it's a cool story that, you know, growing up in upstate New York, um, I was in high school in the early nineties from 89 and I graduated in 93. So I'm dating myself here, (laughs) but, um, I'd never saw a windmill pitcher until it was the summer after 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And I went to the New York state high school championships. Um, they were being held in Albany and when I walked on the field, I saw my first windmill pitcher. Because, again, softball wasn't on TV, so I wasn't being exposed to anything. Right. And everyone in upstate New York was just throwing slingshots. So when I walked on the field for the first time and I see this pitcher that's whipping her arm around in a circle, mm-hmm. I immediately turned to my high school coach and I'm like, what is she doing? <laughs> and she's then, you know, that's called windmill. I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to do that. So huh. she's like, well, if anyone's going to be able to do it, you, you can do it. Go, You can find a way. So we mm-hmm. found a camp. There was a bunch of Division One college coaches that were working at camp. I spent three days in learning how to pitch. I mean, it was literally eight hours a day of pitching, and then I would go for extra at night, and it was, you're sleeping in the bunks. And right. I mean, it was such an unbelievable camp that taught me how to pitch and a, a great foundation. And then so that was in the summer going into my junior year of high school, and I spent all summer long throwing up against the side of the house and, you know, making myself run around the house if I threw the ball over the fence. and. Hmm you know, those types of things, which was the discipline that I had as a skier. And then my junior year in high school, we went out and we won a a state championship. Hmm. So it was at that time that I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Hmm. Um, Went on to play another, went to another camp and there was a college player that was at the camp and she came up to me and asked what travel ball team I played on. And I was just playing on local, local all-star teams. I wasn't playing on any sort of national travel team. And she's like, okay, you're, you're pretty good. You need to get on a travel team so you can play in college. Hmm. So it was at that moment that I, I became more educated on what, what is out there to give myself an opportunity to be able to play in college. Right. right. Um, and then I, I really wanted to be a physical therapist. And I did research to figure out what schools could I, could I go to and play for four years because playing was now a priority for me and still be able to maintain a degree in physical therapy. Hmm. So, yeah. so- you weren't even, um, you know, so when you started playing softball, you weren't even thinking about like, hey, this is something that might be able to get me into college. It sounds like you were just playing it because you absolutely loved it and you were totally into it. Is that right? Oh, oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. it was like people would ask me, what's your favorite sport? And it really was whatever season I was in. If it was in the fall <laughs> and you asked me my favorite sport, it was volleyball. Volleyball right. is absolutely my favorite. And it would be mm-hmm. the same in the winter and skiing. And then in the summer, it was softball. Mm-hmm. And going into my senior year in high school, I still didn't know what sport I wanted to play in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked to do all three. I would look to not all three at the same school, but it was, okay, where am I going to get the best opportunity? Because I just love to play. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized that that softball was probably going to take me a lot further than the other two, um, that's when I really dedicated myself to play softball. And, right. and it was one of those things, like, I knew I was going to college. Like, that was a no-brainer. Um, I was going to go to college, but then I said, you know, wouldn't it be really cool if I could play softball and go to college at the same time? Right. And that's really the, the mindset that I had, um, that, that took me to where I ended up going. Right. Did, did you feel like that, that mindset helped you, um, 
you know, maybe maybe relieve some pressure. Like it wasn't something that you've been thinking about. Hey, I'm going to play softball in college for you know ten years of your life. It was just something that sort of happened naturally, and so you weren't you weren't pressuring yourself as like I have to go to college to play softball. I think it gave me a better perspective to be able to make the best decision for myself and my family Um, because it wasn't, you know, in in college recruiting has completely changed than it was back then, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you know, I'm going to go to the highest bidder or I have to play and and I have to play in order to help my family. It was, I was going to college, like Mm -hmm. from day one, people weren't expected to get a scholarship. Right. And then when all of a sudden it was, okay, you have a skill and wouldn't it be really cool if I could get a little bit of money to help my family out? Mm-hmm. Um, because I already knew that they were going to end up having to pay for school. Right. And even if they gave me $1, my mentality was, wow, that's one less dollar that I have to pay. Hmm. And that's telling me that someone has, someone feels a little bit of value in what I can offer them. Right. Um, and that's really how, how I was brought up. And mm-hmm. my parents were self-employed. Um, they own two restaurants and it was really you, you create what you, you have and you go after what you want because right. you can't rely on anybody else. Right. Makes sense. Um, so what made you decide on Gannon University? It was really the physical therapy. I, I, I have grandparents that were in Buffalo. Um, so that's Western New York and mm-hmm. Gannon University is about 90 miles south. So it's like I had close enough family. Um, growing up in Lake George, New York, again, it's a resort town. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's all mountains and lakes. And mm. I mean, it's, you know, an ideal vacation spot. And I did not want a university that was the, the school on the hill, you know, right. where it was like almost like the same atmosphere. I wanted something different. And Gannon was a city campus. Um, so that was completely out of my comfort zone. And that's really what I wanted to experience in my four years is something that was different. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity because it was an automatic master's program for physical therapy. I knew I could play for four years. And again, that was my number one priority. I didn't want to have to sacrifice my education um, or sacrifice softball. Right. And so when you got to school, did you feel like it was a fit right away? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I walked on campus and I had seen a ton of beautiful schools and all throughout the Northeast and um, Pennsylvania and Ohio and so on and so forth. But um, because it was a city campus and it was so different, it was like, okay, this is this is really what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I, I hit it off with the head coach um, and the players. And it was something where they wanted to win. Um, they wanted me to be their shortstop. And I was going to be in the middle of the lineup and here you're talking to a 17 year old and that sounds great. So, (laughs) you know, give me a uniform. I'm ready to go. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it it sounds like from hearing everything that you're saying, it sounds like you are the type of person who very clearly understands what she wants. So when you are talking to young players or parents, how do you recommend they think through the decision of choosing the right school for them? You know, that's the toughest thing. Um, and I think kids need to, to listen to what their gut is telling them. And I, I feel because you can get so much more educated now and everybody wants to help. Um, you know, parents and travel ball coaches and you, you hire these recruiting services and everyone wants to give them their two cents. And sometimes the athlete loses really what they want and what they're looking for. And I'm, I'm so glad that softball changed the recruiting rules 
And we're now allowing these kids to make these decisions later on in their high school career. Right. Because asking an eighth, eighth grader to be able to make this decision. I mean, I think about what I was doing in eighth grade and it was definitely not thinking about colleges. It was, right. <laughs> you know, putting on makeup for the first time and going to the school dance. I mean, right. that's really what my, my priorities were. So I think it's, it's kids being able to go and watch practices and walk around campus and get a feel for, do they feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't do those things, they don't know if they feel comfortable or not. I mean, I right. remember I'm, I'm 16 years old and my parents gave me the, the keys to the car and they're like, you need to just go drive around college campuses and get a feel for a state school and a private school. And where do you feel most comfortable? And I, I drove onto this college campus and I'm a, I'm a blonde and there wasn't anybody on campus that was blonde. And I'm not judging in any any capacity, but I felt like I didn't fit. Mm. Everyone had their hair dyed jet black. And, um, right. you know, it was just a very, very different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that I was like, okay, I really don't feel like I belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, ever would have known that if I didn't go visit on my own. Right. So right. I think, you know, kids get caught up in things that really aren't important to what why they're going to school. Mm-hmm. If, if softball is their number one priority then they have to make sure that the coach, the players, the atmosphere, the expectations, the work ethic all meets their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're going there and it's going to be a a, a good balance and they're going to be an athlete and they're also going to be a student and they want to have athletics as just another opportunity, um, then you have to find the right fit. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, of understanding like really how important are some of these things to that individual and being able to balance that. And, and I mean, there's so many schools out there that you're going to find the right fit and you don't have to settle, right. um, you know, based on some things that might not be that important to you. Mm-hmm. I say this all the time. Like if, if softball is, is so important to you and you wake up in the morning and you absolutely live, breathe and die softball, mm-hmm. then that needs to be one of your reasons why you're choosing that school. Right. How great the food is, how great the dormitory is, isn't going to make a difference on how your experience is there as a student athlete. If you hate softball, you're going to hate that school. So you have to make sure that it's a balance for what the priorities are of that student athlete. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, ultimately what you're saying is, you know, first, the student athlete needs to understand exactly what they're looking for from a college experience. Then they can do their own research online and try to narrow things down. But it sounds like ultimately what you're saying is you need to go there in person and get a feel for how everything is and let your gut guide you in the right way after that. Does that, yeah, that sound right? You, you have to. I mean, you, you have so many other resources now, like you can do your online videos and everything, but I mean, right. the marketing play, P, uh, department are hired to make the videos look great. <laughs> right. So, I mean, they're doing a good job. So, but mm-hmm. you have to be able to interact with the people and have conversations and watch how they interact and, and feel, do you, do you really feel like you fit in and do you belong right. and do your goals match the goals of the program right. and the goals of the athletic department? There's kids out there that they don't have to win. They just mm-hmm. want to participate. They want to be a part of a great group of, of young ladies. They want to have a great experience. They want to enjoy each other. But the, the athletic department might not be putting the pressure on the head coach to mm-hmm. win. Right. So it'd be like, you know what, we just want, we want to make sure everybody graduates and that we don't have any other issues. Mm-hmm. So you have to find a program that meets those needs. There's some athletes out there that absolutely have to win. Mm-hmm. That's what their DNA is. 
So you can't go to a program that has never won and expect all of a sudden you're going to win, especially in softball, that it's not going to happen. So it's, it's finding those right fits because if you don't, then you're not going to be happy and you're going on that transfer portal pretty quick. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so tell us about Missouri softball. What are the values and principles of the program? Oh, well, Missouri softball is uh, pretty exciting right now. Um, our motto, and since I started over the, uh, taking over the program, is own it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the own it means to just accept responsibility for who you are, what you do, what you represent, and you know everything that you stand for. Um, so that's you know accepting responsibility for the program and, and making sure that we're giving forth our best effort and we're representing the program the best of our ability on and off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of our core values are some of the intangibles. Um, it's work ethic. It's appreciation. It's accountability. It's, it's buying into the philosophy. And, uh, you know, everything that we do, it's, it's talking about lifetime lessons that these players need in order to be successful after softball, mm-hmm. you know, after they graduate from here. I'm not talking about, you know, just how to pick up a ground ball or, or just how to hit. Right. It's, you know, it's all those intangibles, the work ethic, the self-motivation, the determination, so that when they graduate, they're going to go out into the real world and they're going to be very, very successful because they've established all those skills necessary to make them successful in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where where we're coming into. We have this culture pyramid that we designed uh, early on in the year. And at, at the end of practices, we talk about, you know, what, what did you see some of your teammates do that represent some of those characteristics in our culture pyramid. And it's a lot of those words that I just talked about in appreciation and buy-in and, and family. And it's not, I'm not, we're not talking about, Oh, I saw so-and-so take extra swing. I saw so-and-so, you know, hit 400 in the fall It's you know, I saw someone, you know, help someone that was struggling when she was lifting and, you know, and really encourage her to try to, to get out that last rep, those mm-hmm. types of things. And those are the characteristics that you need in order to be a successful team. Right. Um, so that's really what, what our core values are right now. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, it sounds like this, this culture period, uh, culture pyramid and calling out people who are embodying the, you know, the values and principles of the program, that's the way you're sort of embedding it into the culture is you're making sure that everybody understands what the values are. Um, and you know, you're setting up sort of like a positive feedback loop for the people to understand how you want them to, to live by those values. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I think in today's generation, um, again, cause you, you guys already know how old I am, um, in today's <laughs> generation, it is, it's, it's very, it can be very selfish and mm-hmm. it's very me orientated. Um, so I want to try to get them and you can't be a successful team with a bunch of individuals. That's why all star teams never win. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have a lot of individual selfish people on the team that aren't developing culture and culture is created when you truly, truly care about the person to your left and your right. And right. you truly care about the team and you're putting your team ahead of your own personal needs and especially mm-hmm. in softball mm-hmm. because we cannot dictate who comes up in the lineup. So you need your teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we, when we talk about these things is getting them to realize there's more than just their own little bubble. So start opening up your vision and pay attention to your teammates and how hard your team is working and how hard your teammates are working also for you and the team. 
So when you start to appreciate those things, now you're getting that, that gratification of, Mm. you know, my teammate to my left really appreciates how hard I'm working. Now I'm going to work even harder because it, it's being recognized and it's not only being recognized, obviously by the coaches it's being recognized by her teammates and her peers, um, which then creates a better, we'll say, you know, we want them to have a blue collar mindset Mm -hmm. that they have to outwork people. And they, they, it doesn't matter how much talent we have within the program and on the team, Mm -hmm. we want to outwork our opponents. We want to outwork the system. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to be go-getters and we're going to go after everything that we want. Right. Right. So, so this, um, this sort of personality trait that you're talking about, the, the ability to, you know, not view themselves as individuals, but as part of the team, is this something that you can teach, you know, incoming freshmen to learn? Or is that something that you sort of need to see as already an innate part of the, the player's personality while you're recruiting them? So going through this for, for the past four or five months, um, I truly believe you can teach it. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of been it's an experiment. I mean, it's really what I believe in, but it works. Hmm. Um, you know, obviously if you're recruiting that mindset and that mentality, it's going to be even easier. I mean, when you have kids that already have that blue collar mindset and that work ethic and they're already self-motivated and self-disciplined, I mean, they've already bought in way before they step foot on the field. So it's those kids that are now going to be leaders, Hmm. but it's the ones that it isn't part of their, their upbringing or their DNA that you really have to teach them. But when you start to see that these these values are respected and it changes their work ethic, and then now they start to experience success, then they mm-hmm. start to buy in. Right. If they're not buying into it, they're never. It doesn't really matter what I say. Um, right. They're not going to be. They're they're not in. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not they're not buying into the program. Right. Um, and it makes it very obvious when when you have someone that's not buying into that mentality. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, you talked about the culture period and, um, you know, the sort of positive reinforcement, but what are some of the ways that you are trying to, you know, get through to those kids who maybe haven't bought in yet, um, you know, that it's about a team first mentality, not an individual mentality? I think when they do things that are, are outside of the pyramid and, yeah. and you, can, you can say selfish um, and they're only worried about themselves is is pointing things out. But you have to know that person, that individual, you never, ever want to embarrass an athlete right. um, or a person or a kid in your classroom. You never want to embarrass them because um, now you've lost them and then they, they're never, ever going to trust you again, mm-hmm. but it's educating them. I mean, I have, I have young ladies from ages 18 and, you know, I had a freshman that was still 17 this year mm-hmm. um, to 22 and right. it's my job. They're still adolescents. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's my job to continue to educate them and explain the why. And once they start to understand the why, then they're going to start to buy in a little bit more. But it's pointing out some of those things and how they act, um, you know, how they treated somebody, how right. their body language was, what they said and how it impacted somebody um, and doing it in a way that it's going to make a difference in, in their life. And right. sometimes it is video, you know, showing someone someone might not know how their body language is or how they respond to a coach or a teammate unless they actually see it. So, you know, having some videotaping and showing them, you know, this is how you look after you're experiencing, after you strike out, this is exactly what you look like. What kind of message are you sending to everybody else? Right. And then once they see it, it's, wow, I didn't know it was that bad. Right. And then you can start to help them with it. And then when they do it again, you can say, okay, you did it. Put your head up. Right. So it's just, you know, continually, it's the same way you're trying to teach someone to pick up a ground ball. You're trying to teach them how to respond to that failure and, and be good people. 
um, you know, be better teammates. Right. Yeah. I th- actually, I think this is the first time I've heard a coach say that they've used video to sort of coach good body language, but it totally makes sense. I mean, once you see yourself on video, you can internalize exactly how that feels and then start working to, to improve it. Oh, definitely. I mean, I will, I will videotape. I mean, even in our, in our morning workouts when they run and, you know, just look at your facial expression, what kind of message do you think you're sending everybody? Hmm. And, you know, not everybody likes waking up at five o'clock in the morning to right. go to a 6 a.m. <laughs> workout. But right. you know what? If you're going to have a job and you you react that way to your boss, guess what? You're probably not going to have a job very long. Right. Um, right. So sure. it's continually relating it to those lifetime lessons on you have to give forth the best effort and you have to respond the right way because you have control over those things. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so when a player leaves, uh, you know, Missouri after four years, what do you want them to have learned the most? Work ethic. I mean, just to be a go-getter and outwork everybody, outwork the system, outwork your opponent, outwork the person for that, for that job and that promotion. Um, it's really work ethic. And I'm mm-hmm. so proud when alumni call me back and, you know, they're excited about their first job or they get a promotion and, um, you know, they continue to grow and, that they're able to now see how those characteristics have carried over to prepare them for whatever job that it is. Right. Um, right. You know, kids that the first time they were ever in the boardroom and they realize who the athletes are and who the athletes are not. And, you know, the athletes will have a different work ethic than some non-athletes sometimes because Mm -hmm. they know how to work as a team on and how to be able to communicate some of those things. So that that's something that I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, that I wanted them to continue to learn. Right. It, it, it sounds like you are very purposely thinking about, you know, not only do I have, not only do I learn how to make my players the best players they are, but it sounds like you're, you're obviously thinking about how do I set my players up for success in life in general, not just in softball. So it's a whole big picture. Mm-hmm. And when Jim Stirk, the athletic director at Missouri, um, came after me and, and offered me the job here. He said, I want you to build a culture and I know how to do that. Um, yes, I know how to, how that then relates to success on the field um, because they know how to teach the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to compromise players and ethics and morals to get those results on the field because eventually they're going to backfire because if you don't have the right people in place, you might win immediately, but you're not going to win long term. And I want the players to understand that I will do everything possible for them. I always will do the right thing for them and the right thing for the program. And sometimes it's not the right thing that they want, but it's always for a reason to get the best out of them and and make them the most successful. But at the end of the day, they're going to appreciate it. And now they're going to start to be a part of the program long after they graduate. Mm -hmm. And that's when they start coming back to alumni day and, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, they realize what this program taught them. Right. And that is the bigger picture mm-hmm. than just winning a bunch of ball games. I mean, 10 years from now, these kids aren't going to remember what their batting average is or their fielding percentage. They're not. Right. They're going to remember their experiences, their teammates, um, how everybody made them feel and what they learned in that atmosphere and that environment. Right. For sure. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, if you can sum it up, would you say like y- your goal is to try to make it feel like this program had your players' backs, like you were there for them the entire way? Absolutely. I mean, that, it, that it taught them. My goal is that we taught them more than just softball. We'll be right back. 
This is Matt Wheeler, co-founder of Sports Recruits. We started Sports Recruits because as former student athletes, we understood how sports can change someone's life. The mission of Sports Recruits is to empower student athletes to pursue their dreams. We do this by giving student athletes the tools to find the right schools for them. With every college coach in the country on Sports Recruits, you are always a click away from being recruited. To get started, sign up right now at sportsrecruits.com for free. So just a few questions, you know, for any young players or parents of young players that might be listening, um, you know, in your mind, what's the most difficult lesson to teach a young player that's just starting out with the game? You know, softball, again, is such a game of failure. Um, there's three things that happen. You have, you, you can control your effort and your approach. Mm-hmm. You can't control your results. And I think players and, and parents and, and young coaches get caught up in the results. And we have no control over the result. The only person that has any control sometimes is the pitcher. Like sometimes right, they don't even right. have control, but right. <laughs> they're the only one initiating in our sport. Everybody else is defending mm-hmm. and they have no control over where the ball is going to be hit. They have no control over if, you know, it's a ground ball or a fly ball mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. But you can control your effort and you can control your approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the probably the biggest thing that gets lost in in youth is they get just so result orientated that I went four for four, but yeah, was it four little weak hits or was it, you could have gone over four with a great approach and a great result and they were just line drive out. Mm. Um, so you, you can't control those things, but your effort and your, your approach to how you're approaching the game, you can. Right. So, so what do you wish your players would learn at an earlier age before they, before they get to school, before they get to Missouri? I think it's the game within the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every time that pitch is thrown, it's another game that's, that's being played. Mm-hmm. It's a pitcher against the batter. And then as soon as that ball is in play, it's another game. Um, mm-hmm. And when they don't understand the game within the game, they don't understand speed and direction and depth and distance and what is the ball telling you to do. It's right. like players will come in and you see this at all different levels. It's like when the bases are loaded, everyone's going, okay, we're going four to one. Well, what if it's a slow roller up the middle and you can turn it up and play? Right. But no, they're so programmed to go four to one, four to one, four to one. Or when there's a runner and two, the outfielder is going, ground ball on the home, ground ball home, ground ball home. Well, what if it's a ball up the gap? You have no shot at home. Why are you going to throw it home? Right. You right. throw it home. She's already safe at home. Now the batter is going to be back at second base. And now you're in the exact same situation. Mm-hmm. So it's those game within the game that they're not understanding. And that's because they play too many games. There's not enough practices. They're not learning. They're not learning a system. They're not learning the game within the game because they just go out and they're playing the game in tournaments for showcase to be exposed to college coaches, not because they're competing to to actually learn the game within the game and learning to win, which is a whole other issue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How would you go about, how would you go about teaching the game within a game is is like I mean, are you breaking down those individual games into into their constituent parts? How how are you doing that? So philosophically, mm-hmm. at Mizzou, and this is the same philosophy that I had when we were at Hofstra, mm-hmm. is we teach the individual first, and we teach the individual to be the best that they possibly can be. So we're working individual fundamentals. So if you're relating this to basketball. We're going to teach dribbling and passing and shooting because those are the individual fundamentals you need in order to play basketball. Right. So for us, we have a lot of fundamentals. 
you have obviously all different types of ground balls. You have all different types of thrown balls. You have different throws. You have bag coverage on steals. So you have all these individual fundamentals. So we're teaching every individual on our team those individual fundamentals mm-hmm. first. Right. Then we apply it to a position. So we're not teaching just the second baseman or just the catcher. We teach the individual, and then we take those individuals and we apply it to a position. Mm-hmm. And then once we've applied it to a position, now we work a little bit more um, semi-group, semi-group work. So you have your shortstops working with your second baseman on how do they do double plays? You know, how do they work well with each other? How does shortstop now work with third? How does the shortstop work with the left fielder? So you're working some semi-group. And then the last thing we do is we work on system. So what our system is, what is our cutoff and our relays? And then that goes into philosophy. So our number one philosophy is bases will always be covered. So every base will always, always be covered. We'll never leave a base open. Hmm. Every throw from the outfield has a cut or a relay. And every throw from the outfield always has a backup. So that way, our system is completely flawless because you have a cutter relay. You have every base is covered and you always have a backup. Right. Um, you don't have any weaknesses. You don't have any holes. Mm-hmm. You're not having to change your, your coverages in your system based on where the ball is hit. And that's what I see. Even some very, very successful teams will not have a consistent system. They're changing it, then the players have to try to memorize plays rather than understanding what the ball is telling them to do. So then once they understand that, mm-hmm. now they know what the ball is telling them. So on a slow roller, and we'll do like we'll do very, very slow walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. I'll say there's a runner on two. I will hit a ground ball to the left fielder. And so in our game, it's av- every runner averages three seconds to run. 60 feet. So the batter takes about three seconds to get the first base. Mm -hmm. If they're going to go two bases, so on the outfield, it's going to be six seconds. So we're all, I hit a ball to the outfield and we're counting one and two and three and four and five and six. So that's the time it takes for a runner to run two bases. I will ask the outfielder, when did you pick up that ball? Mm -hmm. Did you pick it up on two? Then you got a shot at that lead base. Did you pick it up on five? You've got no shot because it took mm-hmm. you that long to get to that ball. And right. once they start to understand the speed of the game, now they know to be able to play the game within the game and they're not wasting a throw because they were just told to memorize a certain play. Right. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like you're teaching them from the fundamentals up to the system so that they can have better reactions during their game. They're not, they're not stuck into this memorization. Is, is that right? Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Gotcha. Which is Amazing. then why so many players that have come through my program, and I'm, you know, also relating this to my former head coach, Bill Edwards, who is a National Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who I worked under. We have so many alumni that have come through our program that are now coaching collegiately in, in high school because mm-hmm. they know how to teach the game because of how we've taught it. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so what are your thoughts and, and I'm going to go ahead and guess I know your thoughts, but what, what are your thoughts on specialization? Should, should young players play multiple sports? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I just got a great email from a Mizzou alum football player. Mm-hmm. And he was a very successful football player here, and he's got an eight-year-old daughter. And mm-hmm. he had emailed me the exact same question and talked about specialization and um, playing multiple sports. I think I, I absolutely love high school sports. Um, right. You know, if they had four seasons and, and, you know, in certain states in the Midwest, they're playing four seasons. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like high school sports. I want them to play high school sports because you're always playing to win. So you're, te- mm-hmm. you're learning a different level of competition and you're learning pride and loyalty because you're playing for your school, mm-hmm. which is really what you're doing when you're in college. You're playing for right. that university. So you, you have a different semblance of pride. Um, and it also teaches you different athletic skills. Like it is amazing when I have a softball player that has never played anything other than softball and I'm trying to get her body in like a real good basketball defensive position. Mm-hmm. She can't do it. She's not athletic right. enough to do it. She might be a great softball player, but she doesn't have the athletic body awareness to be able to get herself in that position because she's only ever played softball. Right. Um, right. You know, sense. what it also does is it helps them not get so specialized where they're not breaking down the same muscles. If softball mm-hmm. players are playing 12 months a year, all the time, they're only using the same muscle groups. And now their body starts to break down where you have to let your body rest. Mm-hmm. Every right. player that commits to me and, and our program, I sit down and I give them a 12 month calendar and I want to go, I want to go through and I write in, okay, where, what's your high school season? What's your travel ball season in the summer? What's your travel ball season like in the fall? We write in all the games, we write in practices and we, I say, okay, give me six weeks off. When are you going to fit them in? Hmm. And they have to be able to tell me when they're going to let their body rest and recover so that they can build up and be stronger. If they're playing year round, their body's going to break down. And by the time they get to me, and if I have to rest them, I'm not very happy. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And is that, so that's six weeks off. Is that six weeks off from playing any sports or is it six weeks off no. just from softball? Six weeks off from softball, especially if they're pitcher. I want, right. I don't want that arm going around in that circle for six weeks. Right, um, right. You know, I really think right now, this time of year, when you go late November up to New Year's is a great time for, for players to rest and recover. Right. Um, they can train, they can lift, they can work out, they can play another sport, but right. you got to let softball rest, you know, physically and then also mentally. Right. Makes sense. Um, so when you think back on, you know, all the, the players that you played with and the players that you've coached, what would you say is the most common attribute in the best players um, you played with and coached? I think just that competitiveness, that refuse to lose mentality where give me the ball, I'm going to get the job done um, because great players make everyone else around them better. And when they have that competitiveness and that refuse to lose, it just, it lifts up everybody. And I think Mm -hmm. when you, when I look back at all the greatest players that I've ever coached and even played against, they were just so unbelievably competitive. Um, They wanted to be in the batter's box with the game on the line. Mm -hmm. And uh, would you say that is competitiveness, is, is that something that can be taught? Is that something they can learn as, as a kid gets older? Oh, great question. Um, I think it can be, you can make it better. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone is truly not competitive um, in every aspect of their life, it is very, very difficult to get them to be the competitive, especially at, at our level of Division One athletics. You know, and there's, there's kids that their whole life and they might not be that competitive in the classroom and they just, you know, go about and they're okay being average. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And, right. you know, they, they're getting the job done, but, you know, it's, it's okay just doing enough just to get by and they're okay with a C. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to get that C student to become all of a sudden an A student. Right. Makes sense. Um, so just a few more questions and I am keep my eye on the clock. I want to make sure I get you out of here on time, but just a few more questions, um, you know, for any young recruits or parents of young recruits that might be listening. Um, so when you're looking at a player to be part of the program, what attributes are you looking for? 
Um, again, it's a lot of the, a lot of the intangibles. Um, cause if they're not, if they're not a good person, I don't care how great of a player they are. Um, and that's coachability, that's work ethic, that's the competitiveness, that's how they treat their family members and they treat their teammates. If they're disrespectful to their parent, they're going to be disrespectful to me. Right. Um, so it, it's a lot of those, those characteristics, um, that I want. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want the best player. I mean, obviously I do want the best player, but if it's not a good person <laughs> and right. it's not the right player, then they're not going to really help us be successful. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how do you, or how, how would you define coachability? Cause, cause that's something I hear come up a lot and I do believe it's one of the most important skills that a player can learn, but how would you define that? First, it starts with body language. And mm-hmm. when I'm working a camp, and I tell a player that, you know, try this, you know, make an adjustment with something. Um, if they're not making eye contact, that's a, that's number one red flag. Um, so then I'm evaluating, well, why aren't they making eye contact? Are they insecure? Have they, they don't like to be told what they're doing wrong. Are they being disrespectful? So I'm going through like a bunch of checklists to try to figure out why are they responding in this way? Um, right. Not a lot of those things are good. Hmm. So immediately I want to go into, you know, are they, do they have good body language? Are they looking in the eye? And then are they trying to make the adjustment for whatever it is I'm, I'm coaching them on? Um, mm-hmm. That's the coach, coachability. Right. Um, I also love it when, when players come up and will say, you know, coach, I'm really struggling with this. What do you think? And that way we can have a conversation um, to be able to, to get them to do what they need to do. Um, right. You know, and, and the coachability also is, you know, there's, there's different ways to do the same skill and someone that is going to try all these different things to get themselves to be better rather mm-hmm. than, well, that's not how I do it. And right, there'll be right. times that we will work a youth camp and, you know, the kids are there one, they should be there to try to get better. Right. Um, and if they already feel like they, they're know-it-all again, the apple in the tree. So I always look back, like there's a reason why the kid is reacting this way. And for me, a lot of it might be their upbringing. Um, so if, if they're being told in, in certain messages their entire life, it's very, very difficult for me to try to change that in a very short period of time. Right. right. Um, and that's just their upbringing. And that might not be the right environment for them. Right. And that's okay. Right. And, and I know I'm not going to be able to coach every single kid in the country. And I know not every player can play, or play for me. And that's fine. Right. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm finding the right players that can play for me that want to be there because if they, if they want to be there, then they want to be coached. Right. If they don't want to be coached, then you really don't want to play for me. And that's fine. So during the recruiting process, um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see players or parents make during the process? I think making the decision for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. you know, making it because of, strictly just money. If they're making it strictly for, for just money and, and it's not the right situation, um, they're not going to be happy. And the last thing you want to do is that your child regrets their decision. Right. Um, and they made it because someone else told them that this is what they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also making it because, you know, someone else told them that this is a great conference to play in or, mm-hmm. or they got caught up in, you know, the football team or what type of gear and, and not really understanding the substance mm-hmm. of, of really what that program stands for. Right. Makes sense. And then, um, you know, so finally, you know, when, when athletes do reach out to you, how do you want to hear from them? Is it over email, a phone call, you know, when they can, 
Um, do you want to see like a recruiting uh, highlight reel? Um, what works for you? Um, I want them to know why they want to contact us. Mm-hmm. I want to know why, why Mizzou? Why do they want to come here? I don't want to see a form letter. I don't want to see something that I know they sent out to 350 other people. Right. <laughs> I really want them to recruit me because mm-hmm. now if they really, really want to be here, then I know it's going to be a great fit. Mm-hmm. If I have to try to sell them on why Mizzou, then again, they're making a decision for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. So um, email obviously is the most convenient because um, I, I get that immediately. I don't even myself, my landline office phone is now redirected to my cell phone oh. um, because it's, I'm hardly ever in my office. Mm-hmm. So at least I can be able to answer some of those calls. But um, email really is the initiating way. And then once I have a relationship with a player and I'm able to have contact with them because of the recruiting rules, then text message is obviously the most convenient um, for both parties right. to be able to, to, you know, have that conversation that is a little bit more on their level, um, which is something that, that coaches need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, I, I just spoke to all the assistant coaches here at Mizzou. And one of the points that I made was, we're always coaching 18 to 22 year olds. Mm-hmm. We're getting older. They're not, mm-hmm. they're always going to be 18 to 22. We're always getting older. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to adapt to the 18 and 22 year old and what their life is like. Right. You can't say, you know, well, back in my day, they don't care about what it was like back in my day. Right. Right. Um, you know, they're just going to laugh and make fun of you. So you have to be able to adapt to what it is like in their life. What apps are they using? How can you get a little bit more on their communication level to be able to to get your point across? I mean, no, I'm not texting them during practice and saying this is how you pick up a ground ball, but um, you know, right. <laughs> I might have to communicate a little differently off off the field mm-hmm. um, so that they they can you know be able to to feel more comfortable. Right, makes sense. Um, well, listen, Coach Anderson, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was such a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Athlete for Life. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. And if you're a parent or player, check out sportsrecruits.com. Sports Recruits puts you in control of the recruiting process. You can build a free profile, find the right schools, and connect with any college coach in the country. Get started today for free at sportsrecruits.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. See you again next week.